Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. Um, so today, as, as you will have noticed, we're not in 1 Corinthians. We're taking a one-off to break into the series to talk about money. And uh, you'll be pleased because the actual passage that we would have looked at in 1 Corinthians, Paul accuses the church of acting like babies. So you got one or the other. Neither is like you maybe think, oh, I don't know. This is actually going to be better. Craig's got that next week. So we're going to listen to Craig. Yes, no worries. Uh, Hospital pass, as Charles calls them. Um, We're looking at money this morning. And in fact, Jacqueline, who's been with us for a little while, she said, I've been for a little while, you never talk about money. And uh, we had this intro to leadership course on Tuesday, and I don't know who it was, they will remain anonymous. They said, what are we like as a church? And someone said something like, you kill us with your politeness. I thought, wow. I guess because of our Englishness, you know, we don't want to offend, we're very polite, a bit reserved, etc., etc. So we, we haven't talked about money very much. I looked through, the last time we talked about it was almost this time three years ago where Charles spoke about this passage. And I was doing a little bit of accounting. I'm not really a maths guy, but just for the fun. I, Jesus, he preached about money a lot. So he, he apparently preached about 15% of his sermons were on the subject of money. And more than that, one third of his parables were about money. And I, didn't, I did a kind of count-up of what we have done as a church over coming up five years of church ministry now. If you take our Sunday sermons, how much percentage of our ministry has been about money? 0.5% of our sermons have been about money. And so we want to be a church that is like Jesus. We, we talk about that, even we prayed for it today. We want to be a church that reflects the ministry of Jesus here in London. And so if we are to reflect the fullness of who he is, we want our kind of preaching and our teaching to be in somewhat balance to what Jesus did. Does that make sense? And so we are trying to readdress the balance. So we're going from 0.5% to 1% today, talking <laughs> about money. And the fascinating thing about Jesus when he spoke about money is that he spoke about money more than he spoke about heaven and hell put together. So there's eternal realities. There is an eternal destiny for every single human being, heaven or hell. And Jesus chose to take more time to talk about money than the eternal destiny of souls, which is a fascinating thing. I think my my question is why? Why would he spend that much time talking about money. We know it's not because he doesn't care about our eternal destiny because he went and was crucified for our salvation. He died an infinitely horrible death for us so that we might receive eternal life. So we know it's not because he doesn't care. We know it's not because he had lots of bills to pay because he lived from hand to mouth as a penniless preacher relying on the hospitality of others. He wasn't flying private jet around the world. So why would he speak so much about money? He spoke about money primarily, as we're going to find out, because he knew that money is the chief competitor for our affections and our heart when it comes to Christ. Money for Jesus is is actually the primary competitor for our worship. I would suggest not other religions, not other philosophies, 
not other worldviews, the thing that actually captures our heart and will take us away from eternal salvation. What Jesus said, said it's impossible for someone who loves riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And so he cares about our eternal salvation so much that he actually speaks about money a lot, which is what we read in this passage. So what we're going to do is going to look at two things there. We're going to look at the power that money has and we're going to look at Jesus' approach as to how we can topple that power in our life. And I would imagine that there's quite a few emotions as soon as we talk about money. Anyone got emotions when you talk about, think about money? No one wants, no, no one's like, you're on your own, mate. I'm just watching you die for half an hour. I know you've got emotions. I think in the West, a lot of us struggle with feeling guilty. And if anyone feels guilty sometimes, you watch what's happening around the world and you think like, how do you know, I've got all these things, nice things, money, and that, those kind of emotions. Some of us, we feel bitter maybe because we wish we had more money. We look at others, we compare, there's jealousy. Some of us are like, what? Oh, don't you touch my money. You begin to like get a bit tense right now. You think like, first time in church, like I knew it. That's what my parents said, the church, they just want my money. And you start getting tense, you're getting ready to walk out. Lots of emotions. What, what I, I would love us to do is, as Tori has prayed for us, is, is really to sit with our emotions, whatever they are, and to just turn to Jesus and see what he has to say. I would love us to be a church that doesn't overtrust in our own feelings. That we don't overtrust in, I feel this, therefore I must be right. I would love us to grow into a church that overtrusts in Jesus. That's not possible, but you know the point I'm making. And to trust little in how we feel. And actually just to sit with that for a minute and see if Jesus has anything to say to our hearts. And actually what's going on in our emotions when it comes to money. I think for some of us, there is a little bit of revolution that needs to happen in our hearts. Some of us are bound up. Some of us feel even now restricted. Like we kind of like, even you might be a bit like tight chest, like what, what, he's touching something deep in my, you don't, you don't want this to go to this place. There's actually freedom, which is why Jesus speaks about money. So he's leading us to freedom. He talks about abundant life. And if we can deal with our money appropriately, submitted to Jesus, there is actually deep joy, deep freedom, deep happiness to be, to be had. So the power that money can have over us and how to topple that power. It's interesting at the end of this passage, Jesus makes this very stark statement that I don't think we like in the West. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And whenever I read that, this is my first emotion. It's not my right emotion, but my first emotion is this. Jesus, it's not as simple as that. There's bills to pay. There's rents. There's mortgages. There's foods. There's salaries. There's taxes. There's, I've got to live. And how it's more complicated than just Jesus or money. And sometimes I think in the West we can do that. We can kind of complify things. I made up a word that you're welcome. 
in order to kind of put a mist around the teaching that is actually very, very simple. Jesus is saying you can either worship money, you can love money, money can be your number one priority, in which case you will use me, you will use Jesus to get to your goal. Sometimes Christians do that. They love Jesus because Jesus really helps you out sometimes in life. I mean, you've got this like divine backer when you go to work. You can pray to the almighty God for a promotion. It feels good to have Jesus on your side, but actually Jesus is not your goal. Money and promotion is your goal. So you pray to Jesus hoping that you'll get your true God. So if you make God, if you make money your, your God, inevitably Jesus will become your servant. He's helpful along the way and if things don't go well I, I'll leave the church I'll leave Jesus I won't pray for a while because he hasn't been sorting me out but Jesus says the other way around is the way to find freedom that we place God as our true affection as our worship and money is a means a chief means to serve that God that with our lips we praise him on a Sunday and during the week, we give him our praise and our sacrifice through our money and our possessions and our giving and who we are. These are the two choices. This gets to the hearts because it, it simplifies. Sometimes simple is uncomfortable because it paints everything in a stark picture. It's interesting because in the English Standard Version at the very end here, Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. But there's a little note, and I don't know if some of your translations say mammon at the end. If you've been in church a long time, if you grew up in Sunday school, you know the old traditional mammon, which is actually what Jesus would have spoken about in the Aramaic. And it's interesting because the Gospel writers and Matthew here, he chose not to translate the Aramaic word into Greek. The rest of the gospel is in Greek. He chose to keep the Aramaic word, mammon, which I think is this indicator because generally the only times that happens is when someone's name is pulled through into another language. You keep the name, maybe just transliterated, not translated. But why would they not translate mammon into the Greek for money and just keep it as mammon? Commentators would tell us that, that Matthew would have done this because there was this awareness that money is, is not this neutral thing that just sits in society, but that money actually has a power like a God. It was as though the gospel writers were giving money a God-like name, mammon. One commentator says this. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. And Jesus didn't deny that money was a God, but that God, that, that God even has a name, Mammon. Jesus affirmed Mammon as the sole serious competitor to the Trinity. Jesus understood the antithesis or contrast between God's way and Mammon's way is the most fundamental distinction in all of life and history. He didn't divide the world between left versus right or liberal versus conservative or the envious versus the entrepreneur or Christian versus Muslim. He says Jesus didn't make mammon just a side temptation for a few. It is the sole competitor to the Trinity. It raises the stakes somewhat, doesn't it, in the power that money can have in our lives. Let me just from this passage just highlight three things I think that get like laid out for us here. 
The first is this, that money can make us its servant. Like we think we have money, but we seem to be always two days, three days, three emotional heartbeats away from possessing money to money actually possessing us. It's the moment where Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler who said he was, a good, he was a good man. He was a good Christian man. He was moral. He didn't swear. He didn't smoke. He didn't watch bad movies or anything like that. He was like a good, clean guy. Went to church probably. And he says, Jesus, I want eternal salvation. He says, the one thing that you're lacking is you need to sell your possessions. Jesus knowing, cutting right through where his actual affections were. For all of his clean cut, good Christian living, actually... Motion, the, the, his possessions possessed him. And we're told that he went away sad, knowing that he couldn't break free from his master. So he remained the slave to his own money and his own possessions. And that can, that can happen, can't it? Those moments where you feel tight-chested about money, it's an indication sometimes of like, actually, this has got a grip on me. I'm not, I don't have dominion over over this and we would be silly to think that this is not a problem for us because the very air that we breathe as a city is built on serving mammon the very fabric of this city has been built almost from the ground up from the pursuit from the service of money i mean it's it's like shockingly humbling and like just sobering when you read about the the history of our nation and our city and the empire and all of this people travel from all around the world to look at our tourist attractions that were built on often corrupt sinful selfish sometimes evil practices it's, it's built into our fabric that everything the air that we breathe corinth as we've been studying they had the temple to the aphrodite the goddess of love just loomed over the city so all the time you're just aware this is the god that we serve so the skylines tell a lot about a city's heart and cultural heartbeat and worship what do we we have the the square mile with these buildings they're driving through east london they're like these enormous great temples to our service to 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 money some of us get caught up in systems where you think I'm coming out to do a career and like a year down the line, you, you feel like you're just cannon fodder in pursuit of more and more money. You know that feeling, like the, the dehumanizing feeling of like, I just seem to be all about money all the time. And you know that that service of money actually dehumanizes us. So we can get bound up and we actually serve money. The second thing is this is that it can actually lead us away from Jesus. Because money, money offers us stuff, right? It, it holds out promises. Money by itself, we're told, is not inherently evil. Like, you can have a very wealthy person who is righteous and a very wealthy person who is unrighteous. You can have a very poor person who is righteous and a very poor person who is unrighteous. So money in and of itself is not bad. But money represents something for us. At least three things. Let me just talk about three things and see if anything resonates in your heart. When you smile, I know it's you. Okay. The first one is this. Money can represent for us status. Like money, you, we like money because it actually gets us some feeling of status. Like either the place that we live, 
or the car that we drive or the clothes that we wear or just the feeling of having that amount of income or that amount of money in the bank account can create in us this feeling of status of importance like our, our culture loves wealthy people right it's, it's so strange that you could have two people working equally hard and one person actually having more innate gifting and skill in whatever area but if this person has more money like our culture actually celebrates that person right we anyone been a bit like awestruck by someone who's very wealthy it's a weird thing right like it's nothing inherently better about this person but somehow we attribute more value to someone because they've got more money and sometimes we can just go after this status thing i know when we walk around shopping centers which i try to avoid it's not good for my heart i i mean i tell torio with all virtue that there are not many things that i want in life it's really not it just so happens that the, the things that i do want are really expensive <laughs> like that's not I'd, I don't want that kind of watch. I want that watch. There's like four digits and extra. I want, I want the really nice stuff. I like the feeling of having nice things. Like, she hasn't bought me the motorbike yet, but you know, I'm just keep, I only want one motorbike. That's all I'm after. No, actually the glasses bought me a motorbike. It just happens to be about that big. <laughs> Taunts me every day, yeah. <laughs> I do pray and wonder every now and again. But it, money can, can confer status to us, and we like the feeling. The second thing is this, money can actually represent success. That actually money gives us access to do things, to get things that allow us to be successful. It might be just in how you look. You like to spend money on how you look because that is success for you. Looking good is the top priority. Or it might be your career and you know money just goes so easily to training you, equipping you, getting you ready for your career. And it's like because your career is really the thing. And so money actually gives you access to do more things. And for some of you, it's just missing out experiences. You don't want to miss out on any experiences. You've got one life to live. You better live it right now. So every, like, you can spend money without thinking on a weekend away going here, there, doing that because you, you, you want the experience. You want the success. And the third thing is this, is that money can give us security. Maybe this is for all of us. But money doesn't just sit there in our bank account. Money can sit there and whisper in our heart, you're going to be okay. I'm here for you. Trust me. Nothing's going to go wrong. I've got your back. And it speaks sweet words of affirmation and security and comfort it's a bit like i was thinking you know the emotion when your phone is like 100 topped up in the battery it's a nice feeling does anyone have that nice feeling or when all your devices are 100 charged up i feel really i like those moments and i start getting twitchy by the time you know it's got an ipad and a phone so it's like they get down to like 15 percent, and i don't i don't i start feeling a bit like antsy i like having my devices charged up like put that into your bank account and you sometimes you feel that like I like that feeling of like oh it's charged up relax for a bit because it becomes this security for us the question is is money a good god 
Is Mammon actually a good server of giving us security, of giving us success, giving us status? Will we actually stand before God one day, be like, Lord, I want to show you my bank account for the last three months. Look, like you're standing for almighty God, holy God, wanting to judge, open up the books of life. And you're thinking, it's all right, because back in 2023, I actually got a promotion, extra money. I, feel, like, I don't know how you feel about this, but I really felt good about it. And I know like, I'm going to be judging my sin, but I've got my bank account here and we're going to be all right. You've got my back bank account? Oh, okay, come with me. We're going to go into the presence. No one's going to be thinking about that because it's not a good God. Mammon is not a good server of our hearts. Money will demand, will demand, will demand. You will never have enough. As Charles said to me this week, he said, you know, how much is enough? Well, it's always like just that little bit more. Like whatever I've got right now, just a little bit more and I'll be fine. What, do you, what happens when you get there? Uh, it doesn't feel as much as I thought. So when I have the next amount, then that will be enough. And mammon can just lead us further and further away from Jesus. The second, third, third thing is this. Money can blind us. There's this funny teaching in the middle here in Matthew 6, where Jesus says this about our eyes. The eye, of the, lamp of the, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And Jesus sandwiches in between this teaching about money, this thing about eyes, which is strange, but Jesus is getting at this fact that our eyes allow our hearts to see the world and allow light into our hearts. And the Jesus and the Hebrews at the time, they linked the heart and the eyes together very closely. Sometimes they would talk about the eyes of our heart. So Jesus is really saying what you set your heart on, what you look at, it will either provide light into your life or provide darkness and blindness and if you set your eyes on money what will happen is that you will become blind in your own life big big blind spots will develop in your own life if you are fixed on money you don't think you have blind spots but that's the very point of a blind spot you don't even know that they're there because no one actually confesses I mean in, in my time of church ministry no, no one has come to me and said Daniel I must confess to you that I've got greed in my heart no, no I've had people confess things about lust and pornography I've had people confess things about swearing and anger no one has said I'm a greedy man and I just want more money because I don't think we feel it. Because you walk around and there's always someone richer than you, right? Because it's always relative. You could be in the richest neighbourhood in town and yet someone two doors down the line, well, have you seen their mansion? Like, we're, you know, we're quite moderate compared to them. There's always this relative space that we live in that means, actually, I don't feel that. And it's a big blind spot in our heart. John Stott says this about a vision for our life. He says, if our vision becomes clouded by the false gods of materialism and we lose our sense of values, then our whole life is in darkness and we cannot see where we are going. One other person said this, that the blindness of money stops us from asking two questions. How am I making my money and how am I spending my money? 
how am I making my money? What kind of company am I in? Who am I? How am I doing it? Am I working ethically? And how am I spending it? How many people like the idea of printing out your last year's income and expenditure, itemized where it went? Exactly. It would tell us where our gods are. Amen. So what we're going to do now is we're all going to get our phones out. <laughs> how to lose a church in four and a half minutes. But it would tell us like where our money flows to most easily is actually a really good indicator as to what we worship. Do we think without like just no thought like money's going that way, that way, that way, that way is a thing that money is always flooding to. Come to the kingdom and we've got like question, 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 thought, reflection. No, I've got to think about it. Oh, I forgot about it. The moment's passed. Let me move on with my life. What is the thing that your money just keeps flowing to the most easy? It's funny when you get married, funny by hard, um, <laughs> is you realize that your values, like you really get like pushed into this kind of thing of like, because I know I can spend money. Like I like spending money on my study. Like the tech in my, I like having my study just nice. Like I want it to feel good because I, I want to be a good pastor. I want to preach good sermons. You know, I want to do well. So, hey, I need this little device that's going to help me. I need those books. Uh, I need a bigger screen. Katie pointed out to me, you've got a very big monitor at your desk. I was like, it's not big enough. I need a bigger one. <laughs> like, I, I don't have to think. Like, there's, there's an opportunity to spend money on my study. Like, I'll spend money. But the kids' bedrooms, I'm like... No, I can think four and a half times about reasons why that doesn't need, that money doesn't need to go there. But my study, no, no, no problems. Just go like shows you where my like, that, that's my, my love. And I, I want to do well as a pastor. So there's that whole thing of like success. And I don't mind money going there because that helps me. I want to do really well. So where does our money flow to? And the other thing is what, where, where do we get anxious? Like what bits of news or what things in your life happen where anxiety suddenly rises because Jesus out of this passage this bit flows when it says in verse 25 therefore I tell you having talked about money do not be anxious about your life this isn't like I've got one teaching about money and it's that other thing by the way I've got a teaching about anxiety they're no, saying money is a chief source of anxiety if it becomes your God so where are you anxious that will be an indicator of where you are making money your God that's the power of money. I think some of us need to do some repenting and some changing and some becoming free so that we don't end up like that rich young ruler. Like, actually, I, this is heavy and sad and we leave church feeling like just weighed down because of this. Actually, this can be a moment of sparking joy and freedom. So how do we topple this? Jesus says two things. They're very simple things, but obviously sometimes the simple things are not the easy things. The first thing Jesus says is if you want to topple the power of mammon in your life, if you want to live free for Christ, he says, give your money away. Take it from yourself and give it away. He says this in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth wherever that may be for you where moth and rust destroy and where 
thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus starts from a very practical place. And we were just talking after the prayer meeting before the service and saying faith without deeds is dead. Faith actually requires action. It says, when you believe in Jesus, the first thing to do is to do something and is actually to give money away. Because every time you take money that is yours and you give it away to somebody or something else, what you are doing is you're saying, this money does not give me status and I'm free of that bondage. This money does not confer success to me. I'm going to give that away. This money does not give me eternal security. And I'm going to remind my heart every time I do this by giving away again and again and again. Kent Hughes, a Christian pastor, he says this, every time I give, every time, I declare that money does not control me. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money. So every time I take my money and give it away, it is me taking money off the throne of my heart and saying, this is for you, Christ, and you are my Lord. Which is why I think the patterns in the Bible are established as regular giving, because our hearts are so prone to going back to that God. Anyone with me? Like, it takes me two moments. I'll, I'll promise you, I'll be driving home today and I'll see an advert for something like, that looks shiny and nice. I really, like, I've just preached a message on our hearts are so prone to it. And so we need a continual practice of, of giving away. One of the things we don't have to do is give everything away. Sometimes, they're, oh, what are you asking me to do? Everything away? Sell my house? What are you asking me to do? People, anyone thinking that in their heart? Someone chuckled there. <laughs> And I thought that, like, what, should I just give everything away? Like, the pra- that is not a Christian practice, because if everyone in this room gave everything away, we'd all be coming to church next Sunday saying, can someone take up a special offering for me because I need some rent or I need a mortgage? Well, that is not practical. We're not to be a burden on one another. But there are biblical practices that we've been given that help take God off his throne and make Jesus our Lord. Three ways. The first is by tithing. It's an old English word for tenth thing. It's tenth thing, the first fruits of what we get from our income, whatever it might be, whatever streams, whatever they are. Tenth thing, our money to the temple of God. So throughout the Old Testament, there, there are these moments where people would spontaneously give away 10%, the first fruits of what they give as an offering back to the Lord to say everything that you have is actually yours. God very generously allows us to keep 90% of his money. We don't give him 10% of our money. Money, He says, no, you can keep everything. I just want the first 10% because I need your heart to know that I am the Lord God who provides for you and will bless you every single day of your life. That money will not bless you. It will take from you. I'm the only God who's going to give me. So give me the 10% so that your heart will be addressed to me and I can look after you properly. 
So he asked for this 10% from us. And in the Old Testament, it was to the temple of God in, in Jerusalem. Clearly now as Christians, we don't go back to Jerusalem. We go to Jesus and we're told that we, the local church, are the temple of God. So the teaching is wherever we worship, wherever we call home, there is a tenth thing, a tithing of our income, the first fruit to go to the local church where we worship so that the ministry can flourish where you are. There's this moment in Malachi. I would read it after you've had a double espresso, probably. Because God accuses his people of robbing him. He says, you've robbed my house. I mean, if you're a robber like, and you were choosing a house to rob, this is not the house to rob. Like, don't rob, like, rob Joe Bloggs down there, but don't rob God's house. And the God's people in Malachi, they ask him, like, how have we robbed you? Like, how? He says, you haven't been tithing to the temple. God says, it's not, not an optional thing. It's like, it's, t- and it's for your own good, but it's 10% to the ministry of the temple of God. The first thing is tenth thing or tithing. The second is special offerings. There are these moments in scriptures that arise where there are needs that, uh, that, that need to be met and a special offering is taken up by the people of God to send it somewhere. So we've, we just took one up for the work in Ukraine, the, the ministry, a special offering. Say, it's not planned, it's nothing that we knew that was going to happen, but in this moment we want to give of money that we have to give it to that purpose, to that thing. As a church, we've established this pattern generally of giving a special offering in April, May time to the ministry in London, a special offering to regions beyond, to the nations in kind of October, November time. It's just a pattern that we want to get into of giving away a way of de-deifying money in our lives as a church. And there's a couple of us like just sharing the, the stories of like those moments there's a funny thing when you, if you've ever given money away, especially in a special offering, there's the pre-special offering feeling and there's the post-special offering feeling. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? The pre-special offering feeling is anxiety. I don't want to go to church today. Do I have to do this? I really need that money. I had plans for this. This is not really what I want to do. Post-special offering money is joy, freedom, excitement, faith, love for God, a feeling of not being attached to this world, which is so liberating. It's an amazing feeling. And for some of us, we need to work through that awkward feeling and actually act on faith and give away. For Tor and I, the way we normally do it is at some point we just chat about what like figure are we thinking about like what are you thinking what's in your heart and often in these matters I do actually defer to Victoria because she has got faith and sometimes I say I was thinking about this Manu and she was thinking oh really (laughs) (laughs) she doesn't say it like that but she's very kind I was actually thinking this amount of money and I was like really (laughs) and uh, often I just a little wrestle well, I trust Victoria. Okay, okay, that's what you're feeling. Let's go for it. And the moments where we've done that, the liberty and the freedom that I have felt. There was a moment where we received some inheritance money. And uh, so, okay, we've got this chunk of money here and a special offering was coming. 
That's a bit annoying, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> be nice if it came after the special offering. It's a bit like when you go to the dishwasher and it needs to be emptied. You're like, oh, if only I'd come 10 minutes later. Anyway, that's an insight into my brain, not one that you needed. Um, I'm a feel like, I think we need to do something with this. Because I was thinking, house, we've just moved into a house. I need a lot of work, more work than we need, than the thought. So we just had that. But the free, what it meant was the rest of the money that we spent, it wasn't me. I didn't feel tense about it. I didn't feel like I was clawing at this money. I didn't even know it was coming. And suddenly we got it and I felt tense about it. You know what I had that feeling? Suddenly we're actually using it and we're spending it with like freedom and just like, oh, it's just stuff. It's just money. It's just like, okay, we can do that here. No. But it's that de-deification de of, of mammal. And the last thing is it's just giving where there's need. There might be needs that arise in your community group as a church. We just take up special offerings. You might want to say, you might just hear about someone. I want to just give something. This church is an incredibly generous church. And I know that there's crisscrossing of generosity that never gets talked about. Gifts, cars, not lying, possessions, things that just get given to people where there's need. We want to grow in the grace of giving, amen? Sometimes it just starts with us. Because I can recount all the times that we've been given gifts of generosity. For some of you in this room, it's, it marks your soul. Where grace has been given, you want to pour out grace elsewhere. So we give away. And the last thing is this, and maybe if I can invite the band back up. We look to Jesus as our treasure. In just a moment, we're going to gather around the Lord's, the Lord's table. And I want to pull this very delicately into the middle. We look to Jesus because we don't just dethrone an idol in our life. We put our trust back in Jesus. And as we gather around the bread and the wine, what we do is we, we recenter our hearts around our true treasure, who is Jesus Christ. And where money will continually demand more from us, continually ask for more of us, what we have with Christ here is a God who will continuously give. Because when we turn to Jesus Christ, what we have is a, is a God who will fill our hearts because he was infinitely wealthy in the glories of heaven. He lacked nothing. And yet he came down and emptied himself and became poor for us. And not did he just become poor, but he became spiritually bankrupt on our behalf. And he emptied everything that was in heaven for us and everything that was in himself for us. And as he was crucified, he was pouring out his life for us so that we might become rich so that we might receive eternal life and we're told in romans 8 that if god has given us christ jesus in this moment if he has given us christ here how will he not much more give us 
all things. We will never lack when we come to this Jesus. We will be given all that we need, all the security, all the success, all the status that we need in Christ Jesus. Because in Christ, when we come to him and we feed on him, we're reminded that we have status in the heavenly realms. We are sat with Christ at the right hand of God the Father, exalted in the heavenly places. We have success. We are called over in Christ Jesus and as we walk in him through the trials of life we know we will get through this death-like experience into an eternal reality of glory as we behold the face of Jesus Christ and in this son of God we have eternal security that you can stand in this life and in the next and you can walk before almighty holy God and know that you are not because of any financial success but because of being clothed in Christ Jesus that you have Christ and he he holds everything together and everything is kept for us now in heaven we're told imperishable undefiled kept for us waiting for us so that when we get to glory we'll never look back at our life and say if only I'd held on to that special offering for the weekend away if only I'd held on to that so I could have bought the new outfit. If only I'd look at Christ and say, I have everything that I need and our hearts will be grateful. So we're going to gather around this bread and this wine to look to our true treasure, Jesus Christ. Let me read these words from 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to take just a moment to reflect. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells us about the instructions of of breaking this bread and drinking this wine together. And Paul says, I received from the Lord Jesus what I also delivered to you. And that now I pass on to us once again, Trinity Church London, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for us so that we might receive eternal life. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we come and we eat this bread and we drink this wine, we are feeding our souls on Christ who gives to us. Just as the physical elements of this food and drink actually provide our bodies with strength and nourishment, spiritually as we feed on Christ, our souls are strengthened given life this bread doesn't ask for up from us it gives to us in the same way we come to christ so i'm just going to ask us just to stop for a moment and just ask us again how are our hearts where are our feelings just allow those to come up before jesus once again maybe you just want to lift out your hands for a moment You might want to confess attitudes, feelings. 
moment of repentance as we gather and come back to Christ. Just in your heart, just for a moment. If you're not a Christian here, would you hear the good news of a saviour who has died for your sins, whom you can receive today? Father God, we come in your Son's name through the Holy Spirit. We give you our hearts, Lord, and as we gather to receive from your Son once again, we pray, would you topple the power of mammon in our lives? Lord, may we be a free church to serve you radically, lovingly, graciously, freely happily lord god we pray lead us into this grace as we look to your son the giver of life today we ask in jesus name we pray amen